So just days after Mike DeWine signs into law a definition of natural gas as green energy, we learn that the federal government is about to ban gas ovens and ranges in American households, new ones, because of all the damage they're doing to the atmosphere. The whole point of green energy is to stop damaging the atmosphere. The federal government says natural gas in our houses is destroying it and creating climate change. Mike DeWine says it's green energy. Wow. It's Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston, who just put a gas fireplace into our house. You feel a little <laughs> bit guilty about that now? Maybe. I mean, the, the story I read was concern about the gas for kids, actually, with asthma, like causing asthma, which is not something I had ever read before. So we don't use natural gas to cook. I've never used that. I know people swear by it because they say the temperature is better to control. I swear by it. Yeah. So... But yeah, it's it's a head scratcher because I don't know how many of the gas fireplaces are, but they're a heck of a lot easier than burning wood. No, actually, the gas fireplace is probably not putting anything into your house. They're very well vented. Um, I mean, th- that's what it's the the reason for this proposal is twofold. One, that gas ranges and ovens are putting a lot of stuff into the household air that can be damaging. And what I think the statistic I saw was like one out of six people are affected by it. And the other is that it is a huge producer of the very gases that are trapping heat in the in the planet. I, I, you know, Lisa, I was thinking about this this morning. You'll remember this. There was a sea change when we were kids, when the whole country shifted from leaded gasoline to unleaded gasoline. Mm-hmm. And man, people just howled about it. Because if mm-hmm. you had a car that was built for leaded gasoline and got unleaded, it would knock. You would turn the engine off and it would keep running oh, for yeah. a minute. It was a nightmare and make all these god awful noises. And I remember adults in my neighborhood just whining about, you know, leaded gas is so much better. Now, you know, now looking back, it's like, well, you spent a lifetime breathing leaded gas, so you probably don't have the cranial capacity to understand (laughs) why we need to change. But but it was a big sea change. And this would be like that. I mean, I I think we're all going to have to consider, we talked a little bit about it yesterday. Do we start to plan for the day where we don't have gas appliances in our home? It's it. Look, I hate electric ranges. I was so glad when I moved to Cleveland and I had gas in the kitchen because I think it's just a superior form of heat and it's so much easier to regulate. But this is kind of frightening. If you care about the planet, do you get rid of your gas appliances? I think people will wait until they're forced to do so, probably because of the cost, because you have to think about all those gas lines have to be cut off, you know, and sealed off. So it's not just changing your appliances. It's it's getting rid of the gas lines, you know, so there's quite a bit of expense here. And the natural gas companies are going to fight it. The other thing that this is a government agency doing it. So I expect this will go to the courts and people will argue that an agency is legislating and that this really should be done by the legislature. But three cities have done it. They've already banned gas hookups to new buildings, including New York. Uh, It's just it's a striking. You know, I feel like normally when it when we're talking about environmental matters, I'm the one who's like, listen, society, this is the right thing to do. (laughs) And this is the first time I read the story and I was like, whoa, hold your horses. (laughs) 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 Let's, Let's pump the brakes on this. Well, I I do wonder if 
a government agency has the right to do it. I can't remember whether the the Congress or some agency determined that we would switch to unleaded gas um, because we all did. I mean, it was it was. I mean, you, I mean, Layla and Laura was way before you were born, but it was a gigantic change in America. Mm-hmm. I, I, but this will end up in the courts. You'll have the, the the far right of the Republican Party saying this is legislation, but it is about safety and it is about if you care about the planet. Anyway, I just think the timing is delicious because of the absurdity of our governor signing that ridiculous declaration of natural gas as green energy just days before Mm. this comes out. It's just, I I love the timing. Ohio looks like a joke internationally because of what Mike DeWine and the legislature did. All right, let's get to the stories. Mike DeWine's ink is barely dry on a new voting law that, among other things, requires photo IDs, and it's already being challenged in court. Laura, this isn't a surprise. We kind of suspected it would come right away, but who is suing and what do they claim? Yeah, literally minutes after this bill was signed, there was a lawsuit. The Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless, the Ohio Federation of Teachers, the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans, and the Union Veterans Council, they filed the lawsuit in federal court on Friday. And obviously, we've talked about this law a lot. The biggest change is that you'll have to present a photo ID of some sort of official one from the state instead of your utility bill or something like that in order to vote in person. And that's the biggest problem they have with the law. That making everyone have a license or a valid ID. They're also challenging the reduction of the amount of time that voters have to prove, provide additional documentations to elections officials after they cast a provisional ballot. So that would drop from a week to just four days, and it would shorten the deadline for applications for vote by mail ballots. Right now, it's three days before election day, and they want to make it one. Well, it is. It's not. They want to. It's. It is one week before election day. So. They sued Frank LaRose. I expected to see a whole laundry list of people on this lawsuit, but it's Frank LaRose. Yeah, it's odd that it's Frank LaRose, but I guess he, because he represents election law. I, I, we've talked about it. The photo ID law, most Americans believe this is common sense. We should do it. Although in our editorial board meeting yesterday, Elizabeth Sullivan, our, our opinion director, content director, was much more worried about the timing issues, especially for people that are mailing their ballots from overseas. And mm. and she, she was saying this really threatens anybody who's overseas. It's taken away their right to vote. There were no hearings about this. They, they just put this in at the last minute to pass it and hopes that that gets reassessed. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, where this goes in the courts, because a lot of times courts do kind of go with public opinion and public opinion is on the side of voter ID. A lot of states have similar laws and they've been challenged there too, but upheld. So obviously we knew they were going to do this and the Republicans are ready for it. So there's a conservative elections law group called Restoring Integrity and Trust in Elections. They say they plan to help defend the law in court. Uh, But the argument is that this is disenfranchising some voters, especially younger voters, senior citizens, black voters and military members like you were talking about. So and because voter fraud is so rare and Frank LaRose will be the first person to tell you that they say, what what is the point that I mean, that was the argument back and forth before they passed the law anyway. They say voter fraud is rare, but because of Donald Trump, a lot of people in America believe that the voter system is 
vulnerable. I mean, that, that, the problem is the perception in America has been altered by Donald Trump lies and by the lies of his followers in Congress. And so you're left with a situation where a whole bunch of people in America are worried about the voter system and a whole bunch of people in America have to show photo ID to do anything and that they think that this comes together. Mm-hmm. We'll keep following it. It's today in Ohio. Is Ohio finally and formally going to get into passenger trains in a big way? What's the latest about a proposal to establish a rail route connecting Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati, Lisa? Well, Governor Mike DeWine has been cool about accepting Amtrak money because this was kind of made available or, or another chunk of it last year. And he's like, eh, I don't know. Is the ridership there? Is the cost there? But, you know, the Federal Railroad Administration learning this years ago, you know, now states that do agree to have passenger rail service expanded or established, there's much less state buy-in. So it's making it easier for some states to decide. But according to DeWine uh, spokesman Dan Tierney, they're not saying yes or no. They're saying strongly considering applying for a chunk of a $66 billion grant from uh, the new Corridor Identification and Development Program. It was announced by the Railroad Administration administration last month, and the application deadline for this money is March 20th. So this money, if we choose to go for it, would be used for the 3C and D line, which would establish service between Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, and Cincinnati. And there would be funding to make Cleveland Amtrak a mini hub with more frequent service to cities like New York, Chicago, and DC. So yeah, he and he, like I said, DeWine's issues are how much is it going to cost us? Are people going to ride it? And how fast is the train going to go? But Amtrak's been hot on Ohio. I mean, they've been targeting Ohio for several years. They say our state is one of the most underserved passenger rail states. And Columbus is one of the largest cities with no passenger rail at all. Now, NOACA, the North Northeast Ohio Area-Wide Coordinating Agency, they can also apply for this money. Grace Gallucci says they're preparing their application right now. She wants to see expanded Cleveland service and also trains that uh, come through in daylight hours rather than overnight. I don't get why this isn't a no-brainer. We we know that the trains are more efficient. So when we talk about climate change and all the things we talked about at the top of the podcast, they all apply here. And so if you build this, you have to build it to, to get people to use it. You're not going to have demand before you build it. And if the federal government is moving in this direction, why wouldn't we grab our piece of it? I don't understand Mike DeWine's hesitance. It's almost like he is just glued to dinosaur way of doing things that actually harm the planet. And I was thinking about, you know, the Southwest meltdown over the holidays. And, you know, I don't know that Amtrak had any trouble at all. I mean, so I think you're less beholden to, you know, staffing shortages at airlines and that kind of things if you're taking a train. But speed is an issue. So, but, you know, back in 2010, then Governor John Kasich turned down $400 million in federal money because he was opposed to the state supporting a line between Cleveland, Columbus and Cincinnati. So... They've changed their tune since then. Can I jump in? The feds have. I just wanted to push back on you a minute here. It's interesting. I, I, I'm surprised to hear you say, like, you know, if 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 you build it, they will come. I mean, don't you think that they're that they should be presenting some kind of data showing that people would use this? I haven't seen that. Have you? No, because it's not available. I, I think. I mean, people look, can imagine. I, my, my, 
a train and would you get on it and use it for your commute to for business or whatever? And, you know, I think a lot of people wouldn't because the autonomy of having your car is critical for most Ohioans. My frame of reference is that my wife and I have been to Europe a couple of times and traveling around Italy, we, we, we never rented a car. We, we just used trains nonstop. And they went on strike twice while we were there, leaving us stranded for a little while. But it was just so easy. And then when we went to Spain, we took the train that went 200 miles an hour from Madrid to Barcelona. And it it is just such a wonderful way to get between cities. I think if you have the choice of going to the airport and going through the misery of that experience, which we've discussed frequently on this podcast, or doing it on a train, especially if you have kids and things, it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. I I think that we're not just talking about you know Cincinnati and Columbus, right, which are more smaller cities. Like if you could get to Chicago and an easier way of get than getting up at three in the morning to catch the Lakeshore mm-hmm. Express or whatever it is right now. I think a lot of young people would use that to get to Chicago because you don't need a car when you get there. And having a car is actually an impediment. Right. And I spent, you know, a semester in Europe when I was in college and took the Eurail everywhere. And it was fantastic. I don't think we're ever going to have that kind of connection in the United States. We are too spread out. But for college students coming home from the University of Cincinnati or something it would be so much easier just to get on a train than have you go drive to get your kid or anything. I, I do think there would be uses for this. Would Would I want to take a bunch of little kids on a train? I don't know. That's a good question. But I think that there's definitely demographics that would use it. Well, but would you rather take them on a plane? I mean, for me... Well, no, that's why you sit them in the minivan with a lot of sippy cups and a tablet. See, my impression of this is that the main, that the key demographic here would be the business community, that they would be the ones that are targeted with this project. But I, I just, if I were a business person who had to frequently travel from Cleveland to Columbus... I just think it would be, I would not want to be. you could do work for that two hours rather than having to drive. But once you get there, then you are on foot and, you know, or you've got an Uber and you have to just sort of logistically move yourself through cities that are not uh, set up the way other major cities are with terrific public transportation. You get dumped off there and then you got to figure it out. And I think that's annoying to a lot of people who could just drive down and have but if car. you had business at the state house and you got dropped off in downtown Columbus, you're walkable. I, I think business actually, because you could, you know, take your laptop and be busy the entire time, a lot of people would like that rather than well, having so to why haven't they polled the people? I want to see the data that says people have said, yeah, sign me up it's for this. That's a good point. I mean, I, why that that would shut down DeWine's obstruction of this. Where's BW with their polling? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but why I hasn't but Amtrak I think, presented that data that it's in demand? But I think, though, that this is the first step in that direction because this is a new corridor identification program. So in the identification of these corridors, they would probably take ridership into account. I don't think this is a question that's been asked yet. You're right. But I think that that's part of this process. Okay. I, I just think well, if you leave gonna... it up for, you know, you know, conjecture, you give Mike DeWine a lot of reasons to say, yeah, no, thanks. I don't think people are going to use it. We're, we're not going to get oh, through sorry. The, the podcast <laughs> script today. No, no, it's good. This is a good discussion. But I do want to bring back, we talked a couple of days ago about the transit-oriented development. And I suspect, Layla, the answer to your question is, if you set this up, 
then there'd be demand for more transit within the cities, which we've talked mm. about, and it would it would grow. It we don't start to get more green unless you start. You have to start. Mm-hmm. And the federal government has said, okay, we're putting together billions of dollars to expand rail in America. Who wants in? And so the choice is: do we does Ohio sit out and and not not try to be a progressive state, or does it get into it and and see where it goes? Great discussion, though. I uh, I, I appreciate all the thoughts. It's today in Ohio. Why has Ohio Governor Mike DeWine prohibited the use of TikTok on any state-owned device? Laura, TikTok bad. Well, do you want state employees on TikTok instead of doing their jobs? <laughs> probably, probably not. But this is actually not about productivity. This comes because of surveillance. So DeWine put out an executive order shortly after he was sworn in for a second term of, as governor. And it come right, came right after President Joe Biden banned TikTok on phones and other devices owned by the federal government. And a bunch of other states are doing this as well. And it's because Chinese businesses are required to share data with the Chinese Communist Party and that apps like TikTok can be used as intelligence gathering mechanism and gather sensitive personal and business information from users. So I don't know what's on their phones, but I probably don't want the Chinese government knowing either. Yeah, this seems like there's a little bit of anti-China rhetoric involved but then there's also the risk because china's done some things there was a great washington post story today where they use satellite photos to show the gigantic lines that are forming outside chinese funeral homes as COVID spreads (sighs) and compared that to china's lies about how few people have died i think china has done a lot so that people don't trust the the country's government and tiktok let's face it all that data is going straight back to china do your kids I mean, I didn't even know a lot of the apps that they've banned. Like they list all of these things and I have never heard of them. Are your kids on TikTok? No. No. Okay. <laughs> so it's you've banned it on, on your phone. devices as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. You're listening to Ted in Ohio. What is Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibbs' latest proposal for stimulus funds, this time for $40 million? It's a bunch of stuff, Layla. Yeah, this can be broken down into several pots. The first and the biggest is $17 million for education programming. That's going to pay for tutoring, after-school programs, teacher support programs. Intensive literacy tutoring is, is especially important in Bibbs' education agenda to help kids who are really still struggling to regain their footing after the pandemic. Education dollars are also going to help expose kids to career paths. And even beyond K through 12, he wants to strengthen programs that help adults get their GEDs and earn certifications in in high demand areas like construction or broadband and lead remediation, things that are important to to Cleveland. And then the second pot of money is $14 for workforce development and making opportunity corridor more attractive to investors and businesses. That means remediating contaminated brownfields. According to Bibbs, chief of staff, the city owns something like 15,000 parcels that require remediation. And they think that getting those sites cleaned up and online would mean that they're ready to accept new businesses. And and that means jobs. And then there's the the third pot of ARPA dollars, which is five and a half million for participatory budgeting. It, it's been a while since we talked about this, so to remind listeners, under under this concept, residents would get to control how dollars are spent in their neighborhoods. It's it's a way to build participation in democracy and to really empower residents and maybe even encourage some of them to eventually run for office if they find that they 
enjoy representing the interests of their community in this way. And then finally, we have this $4 million pot going toward upgrading the city's 311 system. So that should make it easier for residents to report issues like potholes and tree trimming problems and stuff. And Oh, and there's one more. There's the perennial issue that vexes the city violence. This is the remaining 850000 in, in Bibbs ARPA pitch would go toward developing a long-term violence prevention strategic plan. So with that, Cleveland will have $45 million in ARPA money that has yet to be allocated. Well, I, there are a couple of things there that are interesting to me. The 301 system, it's not the technology of reporting that people complain about. <laughs> it's the lack of response. <laughs> so unless they're coming back with a way to fill those potholes and answer people, just being able to report it easier doesn't make much difference. It's Touché. like when they created the records, a public records right. request system a couple of years ago. Well, okay. So you computerized the request. You didn't turn them around any faster. Right. You can sit, you can watch <laughs> your request sit there in limbo. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is the, the huge number of parcels on Opportunity Carter that are contaminated. I, I just, I, I wonder, has anything been done to try and deal with the contaminators? The, whoever polluted these sites, where are they? And has any effort been made to, to find them? Because using the public money to clean it up, great, we'll get it clean. But there were people who did bad things. And why aren't they being held to account? Nobody really ever talks right. about that. I mean, I imagine that they operated on those sites at a time when nobody cared about the environment and they were not, you know, not held responsible beyond that, their time there. So that's probably, <laughs> we're just left with the, uh, the cleanup. Yeah, I, I do think that there should be some legal action to do it. I don't know. Anyway, good good proposals. They really in the city have yet to squander money like they did at the county council. So a salute to the city for thinking this through. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Governor Mike DeWine used his second inaugural address to do multiple things, and one of them was to invite people to move to Ohio. Lisa, who was he talking to? He was actually talking to legal immigrants, particularly. This was during his inaugural uh, address um, that he, you know, talked about his plans for his uh, next term. But he, or during that, he urged out-of-state residents, especially legal immigrants, to move to Ohio. He says the draws are top-notch educational institutions, low taxes, good quality of life, and cultural amenities. He said, quote, people are returning to the heartland, and maybe not all roads lead to Ohio, but a whole lot certainly do. So that's interesting. I, you know, it's interesting that he's focusing on legal immigrants, because, you know, with so many jobs, there are 10 million jobs still open across America. Uh, immigration has gone down. Immigrants, legal immigrants can fill these jobs. So yeah, it was, and, and it was interesting, um, you know, speech. He talked about mental health. That's really one of his big focuses. He wants to make Ohio the best state in the U.S. for mental health treatment, prevention, and research. And he says there's millions in the upcoming budget set for expanded mental health services and job development. He was sworn in Sunday at his Cedarville home by his son, Justice Pat DeWine, who did not recruit cues himself from this. Um, and also, he also <laughs> gave his father the oath of office as well. 
I I just don't know that if I li- we're we're looking for a place to go, I would come to Ohio right now. We talked about the declaration of natural gas as green energy. We've talked about how we're we're stamping out the ability to build wind farms. We seem to be doing a ver- a lot of very backwards thinking. The heartbeat bill is offensive to most people. I'm not I'm not sure that invitation would resonate with me. I I Michigan is on the border and it doesn't have any of that nonsense. And I would be looking there before I look to Ohio. Well, and also, even if you're not, you know, gay or lesbian or trans, a lot of people want rights for that group of people. So we're, you know, we have issues with transgender athletes. We're not as bad as some states as far as LGBTQ, but we're not great either. No, but right on our border is Pennsylvania and Michigan, which are not so ridiculous in their in their thinking. I, I just I think while he's saying please come here, he's doing all sorts of things to prevent people from wanting to. It's today in Ohio. We've talked about the Christmas story house being for sale, and we've reported the feud between the owner and one of the movie actors. Now there's an unexpected development tying those two stories closer together. Laura, what happened? Yes, a Christmas Story House Museum owner, Brian Jones, and the actor, Yano Anaya, they were involved in a public confrontation outside the house before the holidays. And this made big news. I mean, it's Christmas. It's the Christmas Story House. Everybody's watching. There was a new movie on HBO. And that house is up for sale. And the group led by Anaya had expressed interest in purchasing it. But there was a bunch of back and forth. If you don't remember Anaya, he played the bully Scott Farkas's sidekick, Grover Dill, in the movie. I would not have been able to tell you that. So thank you, Paris Wolf, for a very uh, informative article. Apparently, he was the guy that, that, that was like the toady, right? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The toady of the bully. Exactly. So they were friends for nearly 20 years, but then this happened and Jones chased him away from the house, called him a scammer and a loser, but they made up on New Year's Day. And now Anaya is trying to buy the house, leading a, a group, a community of 54,000 fans that stay in touch through Facebook to hopefully buy this property. Well, that's, that's fascinating. It would be interesting if one of the original actors ended up as part of the ownership group, because that would show a commitment. They would want to maintain the mystique around this this attraction, because it's a very cool Cleveland attraction. It is a very cool Cleveland attraction. It's not just the house and the museum. There's a, a couple other buildings around there. I think you could stay in one of them. So it's a year-round attraction. Obviously, it gets the busiest at Christmas time. But apparently, the actor Anaya said that the owner's heart is set on 50 million for this property, which just (laughs) seems like a crazy amount of money. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, it's it is a cool attraction. My favorite part is there's a phone in a hallway. And if you pick it up and put it to your ear, there's a, a mom screaming at it. What? What? And oh, it's right, just it's, like in that scene, yeah. Right, from the soap scene. And, and it's hilarious, so well worth it. It's today in Ohio. Who has been tapped to be the latest member of Cleveland City Council? Layla, every time this happens, we hear from the public on what a crooked system this is. The people really have no yeah, say. Yeah, especially when you think about the fact that the majority, I believe, of city council members 
or got their seat through appointments like this. So it, the new member is going to be Danny Kelly. He's a former labor leader, a trustee of the North Shore AFL-CIO at one point, who went on to be a recruiter for Cleveland schools. He's also an Adams board member currently. He'll be replacing Ward 11 Councilman Brian Mooney, who's been uh, elected as judge in the Common Police Court. So Kelly's going to be representing parts of the Edgewater, Cadell, West Boulevard, Jefferson, and Bella Puritus neighborhoods. Kelly, Danny Kelly has been vying for a city council seat for quite a while. I mean, when when former council president Marty Sweeney was stepping down to, to go to the state house in early 2015, uh, Danny Kelly raised his hand to succeed him. But Sweeney ended up choosing Brian Casey instead. And then when Casey had to run to retain his seat later that fall, Danny Kelly ran against him and lost. But this appears to be Kelly's moment as, as Mooney's handpicked successor. Now, because Mooney is stepping down more than two years before the next election, Kelly will have to run this fall to retain his seat. Now, for for those listeners who might be unfamiliar with the wacky ways and traditions of Cleveland City Council, the way this works is an outgoing council member gets to select his or her own successor and recommend that person to the body. They then gather in a caucus meeting to officially nominate that person and vote on the recommendation. Typically, before they vote, they invoke what's known as the unit rule. And this dictates that every member of the caucus must vote with the majority so that the decision ends up being unanimous. If you don't vote with the majority and, God forbid, have your own brain and opinions, you could be banished from the caucus. So that's how it played out yesterday. You know, we kicked the Republicans, the Ohio Republican Party, earlier this week because they were censuring uh, Republicans that didn't vote the way the party went. We thought that that was the same kind of thing. You, you don't respect people with independent thought. There was a great quote of the day in capital letter today from one of them saying, wait, so I'm a Republican who voted for a Republican and I get censured. It seems like an obscene word is running the asylum. Uh, this is the same kind of thing. You're not allowed to have independent thought. It's a terrible system. Every time it happens, I get email from people saying, come right. on, how is this good government? And it simply is not good government. Right. Every time a, a new city hall reporter watches this play out for the first time, they are just, huh? <laughs> it's one of those yeah. things that's so ugh, just eye rolling. And, and you could argue it's one of the reasons we are more abundant as a region is because we've we've taken away the reason for people to feel like they're part of the democratic process. We bemoan Cleveland's voter turnout, but if it's crooked and the fix is in, why right. vote? Yeah, I like that Justin Bibb put all that money towards participatory budgeting and the idea that that would include increased democracy and people voting. But then we have city councils like, no, no, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. You don't have to think. You don't have to vote. Well, dang, guys, we're out of time. There's some good stuff left to I talk know. about. We're going to have to postpone it. That's it for today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm.